Well, I hope you picked up a, a copy of the sermon notes as you came in. Uh, you noticed uh, the title of the message, Healing for the Soul, a message on grief, uh, good grief. And let me share with you uh, my motivation in sharing this message this morning. Uh, first, uh, if you remember, we were scheduled uh, to make a presentation to you this morning on our phase three of our renovation plan, and we rescheduled that uh, for Sunday, November the 15th. And then next Sunday, uh, we're going to have an emphasis on the persecuted church. This is an annual emphasis where we'll be joining churches all across the world uh, to focus on the persecuted church, to pray for our brothers and sisters who are uh, suffering persecution. And, uh, and so I knew that this would be a stand-alone message, and I was just praying about uh, what would be the best message to share this morning. And uh, I was not only motivated, of course, by the loss in our own family of Rex Milner, uh, but you all know that several weeks ago, uh, our college and career group uh, suffered a very tragic loss, and uh, many of them are hurting uh, severely. And uh, in reality, there's probably not many people here in this sanctuary that have not been touched by grief. Matter of fact, raise your hand if you've never, if, if, raise your hand if you've experienced grief. You've lost a loved one or a friend, someone close to you. That's probably 95, 98% of us raised our hands. So uh, this message, uh, I hope, will be very applicable to our lives. For those of you that have not yet uh, suffered uh, uh, the pain of grief, hopefully uh, this will help uh, prepare you for that experience, which is inevitable and inescapable living on planet Earth. Let me first begin by simply defining grief, and I would define it very simply as the intense mental and emotional suffering a person experiences when dealing with the loss of a loved one, or the loss of anything of great value. Uh, if there were no love, there would be no grief. But since we do love, as I mentioned a moment ago, grief is inescapable. And the greater your love, the greater uh, the grief. And we need to be very careful to think uh, that if you're walking close with God, uh, that you can escape the pain and grief. The Bible does not present that as being uh, true. Uh, just several very brief examples. Uh, when Abraham lost Sarah, it talks about there in Genesis that he greatly mourned and wept uh, over the loss of his wife. And this was what? Known as the greatest man of faith in the uh, pages of Scripture. Um, I think of Naomi. Uh, if you're familiar with the book of Ruth, that very first chapter, uh, Naomi has lost not only her husband, but she lost two of her sons, and she's deeply mourning and grieving. And in her mourning, in her grieving, she gets angry with God. If you're familiar with the passage, she says, God has dealt bitterly with me. And she says, in light of that, she says, don't call me Naomi anymore. Naomi in the Hebrew meaning beloved. She says, uh, you call me Mara. And Mara in the Hebrew means bitter. And she says, I am bitter. And I'm bitter at God. I'm disappointed. I'm hurting. I'm angry. Uh, over, over this loss. And that's a reality for all of us as we deal with our grief. When you go to the New Testament, I think of 1 Thessalonians 4. It acknowledges the fact 
that we do grieve over the loss of loved ones, but at the same time, we do not grieve as those without what? Hope. And of course, in the Bible, hope is not something you wish for. It's, it's our confident assurance that we have an eternal home in heaven. And then uh, there's a passage in Philippians chapter 2 where the great apostle of Paul, this uh, champion uh, for Christ, uh, he mentions his co-worker Epaphrodites, who had become sick to the point of death. And he mentions that God had mercy on Epaphrodites and raised him up, healed him. And then Paul says, and God had mercy on me because he says, if he would have died, I would have had sorrow. He says, upon sorrow. So the simple point I'm making is, no matter how spiritual you are, no matter how close your walk with God is, uh, none of us are immune from grief. None of us are immune from this intense uh, emotional and mental suffering that grief uh, causes. Now, the next thing I want to do, just before we actually get into the sermon notes, is to define for you what I mean by good grief, by good grief. Uh, let me mention a, a, a scripture that's not in your notes, Ephesians six eighteen. It reads, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. The word shield there is, is very interesting. It refers to a shield that a Roman soldier would take into battle. Uh, a Roman soldier basically used two different types of shield. There was a very small shield, about two feet in diameter, that he would strap on his arm that he would use in close uh, combat. Uh, to protect himself against the blows of swords. And then there was a very large shield that they would use, about four and a half feet high, about two and a half feet wide, that they would use when they would be advancing against uh, an enemy. It was actually large enough so that the soldier could get completely behind it for full protection. It was made of a very thick wood, and it was covered with a special treated leather which protected the soldier against arrows that had been dipped in pits and then were lit and literally fired as flaming missiles. And the point is this. The shield did not eliminate the arrow's attack, but it did extinguish the fiery, destructive element of the weapon. And the application to grief is this. It would be wrong to think we can escape grief. But by the shield of faith, as we trust God, we can extinguish the destructive effects of grief and use it as a tool to grow closer to God. So if in the end, grief strengthens my faith and draws me closer in my relationship with God, that is good grief. So now following your sermon notes, and notice in the introduction the stages of grief, the stages of grief. Now, before we look at these, you'll notice four stages, it's important for me to acknowledge that in reality, grief does not follow a neat little progression of stages. Yes, in your notes, it's one, two, three, four, but grief is much messier than that. Uh, it's very complicated and it's immensely personal. Grief is as individual as you are. Uh, your relationship with the one loss and the circumstances of the loss. 
there is no prescribed timetable for grief. Two people never grieve the same way. Some openly express their grief, while others internalize it. But having said that, I believe we do discover in the Bible four fundamental elements in the grief process. And the first one is shock. Just shock. What I mean by that is numbed disbelief. The thought that this can't be real. This could not have happened. I must be dreaming or sleepwalking. The thought, thought that I, I'm just in a nightmare and I'm going to wake up and, it, and it's all going to be okay. Uh, the initial shock is actually a protection mechanism, uh, keeping you from being initially just overwhelmed uh, by the tragedy. Uh, you can experience physical symptoms uh, of agitation. A weakness, just uncontrollable crying, and aimless activity. Uh, in Job chapter 17, verse 17, Job expresses this initial stage of shock in dealing with the loss of his ten children, as well as the fact that he lost his wealth, his health, and everything else. He says, my eye has also grown dim because of grief. And all my members are a shadow. He's acknowledging that he's in this time of shock, this numb disbelief, as if he's again in a dream world. Uh, this initial stage of shock uh, can last hours, uh, even up to weeks. But at some point, reality begins to set in, which takes you to the second stage of grief, and that is suffering. Suffering. As the shock wears off, the pain sets in. Psalm 38, 6 describes this well. Psalmist wrote, I am bent over and racked with pain. All day long I walk around filled with grief. This is a time of great emotional upheaval. An excruciating pain that can be both physical and emotional. Uh, physical symptoms uh, during this time of suffering can include loss of appetite, uh, chest pain, insomnia, and extreme fatigue. Emotional symptoms uh, can be anger, uh, depression, guilt, uh, great anxiety, and, and restlessness. Uh, there can be sudden mood swings and intense tidal waves of emotion that so overwhelm you, uh, at times you believe you're just losing control, that you're losing your sanity. Uh, you eventually uh, come to a more uh, orderly existence and a resemblance of normalcy returns, uh, but you still feel lonely. You still feel depressed. And you will be unexpectedly hit with tidal waves of intense grief that can just wash you into depression. Now, an important observation to make is that it is during this second stage of suffering is when a person needs the most emotional support uh, from family and friends. But unfortunately, by this time, uh, most of them have gone back home. Uh, to the busyness of their lives. And they can even pressure you uh, to get over it, 
to get on with your life, not really understanding your pain, not understanding your grief and what you're going through. Now, this suffering stage can literally last not just for months, but even intermittently uh, for years. And that can be very, very normal, even for uh, a champion of the faith, uh, greatest men and women of God. And it's, and it's important, and we'll talk about this more later, it's important not to suppress the grief but to experience it in its fullness and to realize God is using the suffering to bring you to the third stage of grief there in your notes, and that is supplication. 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 This stage is not marked by the absence of pain. I want to be very clear about that. It's not marked by the absence of pain but by the pain motivating you to seek God's presence for help. In Psalm 31, verses 9 and 10, we see the psalmist at this point with his grief. He says, Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted away from grief, my soul and my body also. For my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. So here you see the gracious. He's getting real with God. He's being totally honest and transparent with God. But his pain is what? Turning him to God. God, be gracious to me. I desperately need you. I'm totally dependent upon you. So God uses the grief. He uses the grief to reveal just how dependent you are on him and to teach you to lean on him uh, for all that you need. And it's during this stage of grief that you begin to find God's strength. You begin to find God's strength to be able to function with the pain of your grief. And you begin to now gain a sense of God's direction and and how God is using this to rebuild your life, to discover the new normalcy, uh, the new next chapter uh, in your life. And this, of course, then leads... Uh, to the four stages of grief and the place where we all want to get, and, it's a, and that is salvation. Salvation. And I'm not just talking about conversion to Christ. I'm primarily addressing believers here uh, this morning. I'm just talking about in your grief, uh, knowing God's deliverance, knowing God's uh, grace bringing you through this. And at this point, it's not that you forget the loss or the pain of the loss. And I, and I keep emphasizing that. You can go to your grave knowing the pain of the loss. You never totally get over grief. And and it would be wrong to have that expectation living here on planet Earth. But although you still are aware of the loss, you're still experiencing the pain of the loss, now through God's grace, you accept it. You accept the pain, you accept the loss, And you're beginning to see how God is using it for your good. Again, to draw you into that more intimate relationship with Him. You, at this point, are able to say with the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice, blessed. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Now look with me now. And how to experience good grief. We've seen those four stages. The shock, the suffering, the supplication, the salvation. And now how to experience 
good grief. And I actually shared this in the uh, funeral this past Friday uh, to the uh, Milner uh, family. And the first point here is realize God is with me. I have to realize that God is with me. Again, this is where we need to get very honest and real. When we hurt, we tend to forget where God is. True? That is true. We are tempted to think that God is distant or that He doesn't care. Uh, What we basically have is what, what I like to call one of those Psalm 13 experiences. I don't know if you're familiar with Psalm 13. But in just the first couple of verses, four different times, he cries out, How long, O Lord? You know, How long are you going to forget me? How long are you going to forsake me? Uh, you know, at this point, the psalmist is just totally mastered by the pain of his feelings. He's just become overcome by his circumstances, and he has totally lost sight of God. And that's what grief does. But we have to realize, although grief has clouded God's presence from it doesn't mean that He's absent. Look at Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is, what's that next word? Close. The Lord is close. He's close to who? To the brokenhearted. And He saves those who are crushed in spirit. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. And He saves those who are crushed in spirit. Uh, Matthew Henry, the great Bible teacher, noted, Sometimes God is in the dark, but He's never, never at a distance. And I like what one doctor said. He says, When the dust of my trouble settles, God is standing there next to me. And He has dust on His shoulders, too, because He's been there all along. Now, when suffering with grief, there are certain things I need to remember. And specifically, three things I need to remember that you need uh, to remember. And the first one is, God is aware. God is aware of what I'm going through. He's aware of my pain. He's aware of my suffering. He's aware of my anguish. Uh, Look at Job 23, verses 8 and 10. Uh, Job acknowledges uh, this reality. He says, Behold, I go forward, but he... He's referring to God. God, He's not there. And backward, but I I can't perceive Him. I can't perceive God. When He acts on the left, I can't behold Him. He, He turns on the right. I cannot see Him. But He knows the way I take. And when He has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Notice, Job acknowledged that the grief had blocked his ability to see God. But at the same time, he did not conclude that God was absent. Job reminded himself that God was aware. He knows the way I take, Job said. Job also knew God was using the grief not to destroy him, but what? To refine him. He says, when he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. And when you turn to the end of the book of Job, do you remember what Job says? He says, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see thee. See, Job is saying before the grief, before the pain, before the loss, I knew a lot about you up here. 
I had a lot of head knowledge about God, but now my eyes see you. Now there is an intimacy with God that I never knew before because this pain showed me just how dependent I am, just how desperate I am, and it created in me a determination to seek you, to know you, to find you, and to experience your grace. So I need to remind myself, I need to remember that God is aware. And the second thing I need to remind myself of and to remember is that God cares. He's not only aware of what I'm going through, but He truly cares. He's moved by my grief. Nahum chapter 1 verse 7 says, The Lord is good. Children sang about that goodness. A refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust Him. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 says, Cast all your anxiety on Him. Why? Because He cares for you. Now, it's very instructive to see the verse right before and the verse right after uh, verse 7. The verse before reads, Humble yourselves, therefore under the mighty hand of God. Why? That He may exalt you at the proper time. The verse after verse 7 reads, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But resist him firm in your faith. Now, do not miss this. When you struggle with grief, when you're hurting, when you're suffering, there are two powers at work in your life, God and the devil. Now, what does God desire to do? Exalt you. What does the devil desire to do? To devour you. Therefore, don't you think the best course of action is to humble yourself before God and resist the devil? And how do you humble yourself before God? You cast all your cares, all your grief, all your pain, all your anxieties about the future on Him, knowing He cares for you. And how do you resist the devil? By refusing to believe his lies, that God does not care. And by remaining firm in your faith in a loving and all-powerful God who causes all things to work for your good and even what you're going through right now. So when struggling with grief, I need to remember, God is aware, God cares, and then also God wants to help. He wants to help me. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 says, let us then approach the throne of grace. I love that, a throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. God does not just offer awareness, He offers assistance. The word comfort, the very word comfort in the Greek New Testament is the word parakaleo which literally means to come alongside of a person, literally put your arm around them and offer them encouragement, offer them strength and help. And that's what God does for us in our time of sorrow and grief and pain. And do you know what gives us the confidence that He will do that? Well, the answer is in the preceding verse. And that reads, For we do not have a high priest, who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet without sin. You ask, does Jesus Christ, 
really understand the pain of my grief? And the answer is what? Yes. Because he experienced it. Listen, listen, I, I can't take long with this, but just listen to the words that are used in the Gospels to describe the emotional state of Jesus as he approached the cross. His impending death, knowing that he would be separated from his Father, whom he had had perfect fellowship with throughout all eternity. And, of course, he knew that because what? He was going to become the sin bearer. Uh, for you and for I. And he's, here are some of just the phrases. Not all of them, but some of them. It says, Jesus became very distressed. And again, I'm, I'm going to tell you, the, all of these words all the, are, are very intense words in the Greek text. When it says very distressed, it literally means to be struck with terror. To literally become paralyzed by fear. And Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, in order to become our sin bearer, he experienced that. He became very stressed, struck with terror, paralyzed by fear. It uses the word that he became troubled. And that word, and that means to be literally filled with unrest. He found no peace, nothing but unrest. He was agitated. It says he became deeply grieved to the point of death. Deeply grieved to the point of death. A grief so heavy, he thought he would literally suffocate under its weight. And matter of fact, that explains why in the Gospels, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when it says he fell down, it's in the imperfect tense, that verb. It means he was continually falling down. In other words, the picture here is he became so overwhelmed by the burden of his grief, it just threw him to the ground. And he would try to get up, and it would just throw him back down on the ground. He was just overwhelmed, just suffocating. It was as if he couldn't breathe. The grief was so thick. The pain was so difficult. It says he was being in agony. And, and that literally means to tremble. To literally to tremble, knowing the awful path that lies ahead. And then, it, and then you all know it says the stress was so great that he what? He sweat drops of blood. It talks about the fact that he felt orphaned, isolated, forsaken. Jesus understands. He understands your grief. He understands that because he experienced it. He is aware. He cares. He wants to help. And so the first step, the very first step, and extinguishing the destructive elements of grief is to realize God is with me. And He's with me for my good. Second thing that's so important, and that is to release the pain to God. You have to release the pain to God. And when I say release the pain of God, I'm not talking about a one-time experience. I'm talking about a moment-by-moment, day-by-day experience. Listen very, very carefully. It's important to grieve. I mentioned a moment ago, you need to fully experience the grief. You need to own it. I mentioned that, yes, it's a process that takes time. And often, lots of time. 
to be very honest with you, what I've noticed in my ministry, when a person loses a loved one, you're normally looking at two to three years for them to get to the place where they really sense God's grace, they really sense a new norm for them, the new chapter in their lives, and, and, they, and they begin to see how God is using everything for their good, and they move forward. So it, it is a process. It does take time. But, but, you can get stuck in your grief. And that's what you don't want to happen. And that's what we as a body of believers don't want to happen to our brothers and sisters to get stuck in their grief, where they're not moving forward, where they are continually losing sight of it. They're not, they're not reminding themselves that, that God is aware, that God cares, that He wants to help. And the grief is turning them towards the Lord. See, if all you do, if all you do is to focus on the pain, I mean, reality is you're only going to get sadder and sadder. You're going to get angrier and angrier, which will lead to self-pity, bitterness, grumbling, and complaining. As I mentioned earlier, Naomi, in her grief. Instead of humbling yourself before God, as we looked at earlier, you will conclude that God has dealt with you unjustly. And that you do have the right to question and judge God. Dr. David Paulison wrote, If I become angry at God because something terrible has happened, I'm basically saying that having my loved one back is my supreme good. It was not God, but my loved one. And God only exists to be the errand boy to give me what I want. And he hasn't delivered. I'll read that again. It's a powerful quote. Dr. Paulison said, If I become angry at God because something terrible has happened, I'm basically saying that having my loved one back is my supreme good. And God only exists to be the errand boy to give me what I want, and he hasn't delivered. See, a person angry with God is resisting God's grace. And if you continue, you will literally get swallowed up in the pain of the grief, and it will destroy you. It will destroy you. Now, how do I release my pain to God? How do I release my pain to God? Look at the next statement in your notes, which I think is so invaluable. I stop focusing on what's lost, and I start focusing on what's left. I have to stop focusing on what's lost and start focusing on what's left. In other words, look around. Who's left standing? Children, grandchildren, brothers, sister, whoever it might be, grandparents. And so instead of focusing on who I lost, focus on who's left and begin to invest in their lives, in those relationships. And that is such a key to releasing the pain as you uh, focus not on what's lost but on what's lost. Look at uh, Isaiah 43 verse 18. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Bottom line, God wants to use the grief just to bring you into a new norm. Again, that new chapter, that next chapter in your life, that's not a bad thing. It's a good thing because God is good, and He's going to call, use this to work for your good and your benefit and your spiritual growth. Now, notice in your notes, here are the options in dealing with pain. 
Here they are. And, here's, and, and these are the choices each and every one of us have. Number one, we can repress it. We can repress the grief. In other words, never face it. Just try to push it down. But it's like, you know, taking a, a beach ball. You can hold it under the water, but eventually what? That thing's going to squirt up. And in grief, when it comes up, a lot of ugliness comes up with it. And so we don't want to repress it. A lot of people try to repress it, what? Through drugs, through alcohol, just through busyness, busyness, busyness. Anything they can do just to run from the grief, never face the grief, never put their arms around it, experience it in its fullness, and then let that lead them to God. So that's the first option. The second option is to resent it. It's just to resent the pain, just to get angry with God, just to get upset with God. You know, how could you have done this to me? How could you have let my loved one go like this? And normally when we resent it, we get stuck on one question. Why? 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 Why, God? And we get stuck there. And there's never an answer to that question. I'm just being honest with you. There's never an answer to that question. There's never full resolution on this side of eternity. So that's the wrong question. It's not why. The question we have to start at is what's next, God? What's next on your agenda for me? Again, that new chapter in my life. The third thing you can do is just rehearse it. In other words, you just play it over and over and over again. You know, it's just those reruns in your, in your mind. And when I say rehearse it, I'm not talking about focusing on the good memories of the loved one. I think that is such a positive thing. I think that's part of the healing process, a, a tremendous aspect of the healing process. I'm talking about just rehearsing the death of the individual, just focusing on the loss, focusing on the pain, the grief, just rehearsing it. And then your fourth option is to release it. And you release that again to God. You have to surrender that to Him. Look at Lamentations chapter 2, verse 19. It says, pour out your heart like water before the presence of God. And you release it to God by becoming totally honest, totally transparent. If you are mad with God, let Him know you're mad. If you're bitter, let Him know you're bitter. If you're disappointed, let Him know you're disappointed. He's big enough to handle your emotions. And even when you misunderstand him and you rail against him, he loves you. And you're not going to run him off. He's going to be always right there for you. Ready for you to come to him to release that pain. To roll it over on it. The only one who's, who has big enough shoulders to carry that pain. To carry that grief. And to bring you through the process. And now the third thing. And this is so important. And this is immensely practical. And that is to rely on God's comforters. To rely on God's comforters. And I'm going to need to run through this very quickly. But this is immensely practical. Very important. And the, and the first of God's comforters is God's word. God's word. Psalm 119, verse 28, My soul weeps because of grief. Strengthen me according to thy word. 
My soul weeps because of grief. Strengthen me according to thy word. I've said this many times. I've said it many times from this pulpit. One of the prescriptions that I give uh, when a person's experiencing grief for them to know God's comfort is I give you the prescription of reading five psalms a day. And if you're hurting, if you're struggling right now in any area, I would encourage you to do that. And what I suggest is you just take today, for example, is what? October the 25th. So you would read the 25th Psalm, and then you would read every 30th Psalm. So for example, today you would read Psalm 25, Psalm 55, Psalm 85, Psalm 115, Psalm 145. And using this method, you can go through all 150 of the Psalms in a single month. And folks, you will not believe the comfort that will bring you. There's nothing like the, emo- like the Psalms to heal hurting emotions. Because it's in the Psalms where the psalmist becomes so real and transparent with their pain and their hurt. But then you see them, in most cases, bring that to a place of resolve and resolution as they turn towards God. Matter of fact, I mentioned Psalm 13 earlier where the psalmist begins, you know, how long, how long, you know, you've forgotten me, you've forsaken me. And then, and it's, I think it's a psalm of only six verses, if my memory's right. First two psalms is a bleak picture, how long they're railing against God. The next couple of verses, they turn to God in prayer, supplication like we were talking about. And then the last two verses, they come to a place of resolution, of victory, knowing God's grace, overcoming their circumstances, not being mastered by their feeling, but being mastered by Jesus to walk in His grace. Not only God's Word, God's people. God's people. Galatians 6, verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. We're never meant to walk alone through our grief. And let me say to those of you that are grieving, that are hurting, yes, it is the responsibility of the church family to reach out to you, but at the same time, don't separate yourself from God's people. Don't separate yourself from church fellowship. I was so delighted to see my, my Aunt, Aunt Alice Milner here. She's here this morning with her daughter, Chris. Those are the steps you need to take. We need one another. We need the family of God in times of hurt and grief. And so, but but you've all, many of us have been there. Your tendency is what? To isolate yourself. And, 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 and initially, normally, it's very awkward to make that step. I've talked to many of you that have, and that you've talked about the difficulty of walking back in this sanctuary without your loved one at your side. And I, I understand that. And, and I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I understand that. I understand that. I'm just saying, you, that needs to be one of the first things you focus on. And God, give me the grace to make that step. And then we need to come alongside that person and said, I know it's difficult right now, but I'll always be there to, for you to sit right with me. And, uh, and maybe you have to slip out a little early. That's okay. Sometimes, initially, just crowds and lots of people become very difficult. But, but don't isolate yourself. Get under the teaching, preaching of God's Word. Get around God's people. And then God's Spirit. God's Spirit. Romans 15 Verse 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in your faith that by the power of the Holy Spirit, your whole life and outlook may be radiant with hope. I don't know if you're familiar with Dr. R.A. Torrey. He was a great man of God, developed a Bible institute out in L.A., but he lost his daughter when she was 12 years of age in a tragic accident. 
and he struggled with his grief. Uh, the funeral was on a very dark, dreary, rainy day. Him and his wife went home, both hurting, both grieving, realizing they'd never see their girl grow up. They'd never hear her laugh again. And, and they were just hurting. He couldn't sleep that night. He got up early in the morning, just went outside uh, for a walk. And, uh, and he said, he just, he just sort of leaned up against a light post and he began to cry out to God. He just began to cry out to God in his pain and his grief over the loss of his little girl. And Dr. Tory wrote this. He said, and just then, the fountain, the Holy Spirit, whom I had in my heart, broke forth with such power as I think I had never experienced before. And it was the most joyful moment I had ever known in my life. It is an unspeakable, glorious thing to have within you a fountain ever springing up, springing up, springing up, ever springing up, 365 days in every year, springing up under all circumstances. Amen? God is... Where's God when you're hurting? He's with you, in you, weeping with you. Again, aware to care to give you the help that you need. And then look at the fourth most important truth about experiencing good grief, knowing God's healing. Reach out to serve others. This is where God eventually wants to take you. And I, and I can always tell when a person is really knowing God's healing and grace when they turn this corner and they're willing now to begin to invest in others and help others. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Isn't this precious? He comforts us. God comforts us in our troubles. Why? So that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. Amen? And that's what God wants to do. He wants to take your pain and not only give you His grace to be able to cope with that pain, but then he wants to use you to minister to others. And how many times have I said from this pulpit, every pain, every adversity you experience is an open door to minister to others as you experience God's grace. So I trust this has been helpful um, for those that uh, are hurting, struggling with grief, and for those or not there, hopefully it will prepare you for what will be an inevitable, inescapable reality uh, for all of us. And as we go into our time of invitation, you know, what's the greatest grief that could be imaginable? We're talking about being separated, right, from our loved ones. The greatest grief would be to be separated from God for all eternity. That's the greatest grief. And, of course, to save you from that experience is why God sent His Son into this world. To bear your sin. To bear the penalty of your sin. And He rose again. And He's a living Lord. A living Savior. And He's extending out to you the gift of forgiveness. Even this very day. So that you won't have to experience separation from God. In this life and in the next life. He bridges that gulf between God and man. Jesus said what? I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father, what? But by me. So we would invite you, if you do not know Jesus, to invite him in, 
to forgive you of your sins, to take control of your life. And I'll be standing here to greet anyone that uh, would have a prayer request. Uh, if you've been visiting, uh, looking to unite with the church family, you come down at this time. Uh, but uh, we just praise God that His grace is sufficient for all things. Amen? Amen. Stand with us as the invitation is extended.